Good morning, family. I tell you, I had tears in my eyes as I sat here on the front row. 19 years ago, I sat right there in the second pew on this side when I first attended the seminary. I really hope that you understand just how blessed you are to be in this environment where you can worship freely, even if the person sitting next to you is from a different part of the world, even if the person sitting next to you may have a few different theological views. My God, how blessed are you? How blessed are you? I want to say thank you so very much to Dr. Williams and to Nashoni, and uh, thank you so much, Dr. Mascala and Ms. Sylvia. Thank you so much for the warm hospitality that was granted to me in preparation for being with you for these few days. I find that it is in places like the seminary that real confrontation takes place. It's in places like the seminary where we are confronted in ways that startled us. Confronted with who I say I am and yet who I really am. Mm -hmm. If you've been here for at least a year, you find that there are times where you are confronted with who you're supposed to quote unquote be and who you really are. <laughs> and you see, some of the confrontation that you go through, it's natural. Why? Because you're in a new environment. Why? Because you're being challenged here by your professors. You're taking classes that are literally going to the core and the fiber of who you are, and they're challenging all that you have ever, ever known. And you're trying to wrestle with, Lord, I, I don't understand. I don't understand what this professor is saying, but this is what I was taught. Now, 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 what am I supposed to do? There's a natural confrontation that takes place. And then, my brothers and sisters, oh, yes. <laughs> There's a confrontation that takes place because mm, all those things that you came here with. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Even as I said that already to the front of your mind, it's coming up, right? The lies you used to tell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm pausing intentionally because I know you're thinking. <laughs> See, right now, the Holy Spirit is bringing to you the baggage that you brought with. There's a confrontation that takes place in your living, in your being, while you're here in the seminary because the enemy is not going to allow you to come to the seminary and to just, like an oasis, just live your way through just pleasantly like it's a reality show. No, the enemy, when you get it, he says, oh, you want to go to the seminary and study? <laughs> Woo. Let me go ahead and find those sins that so easily beset you. And you find that while you lied when you were home, now you're in the seminary and you're lying to your teacher, telling the teacher you couldn't do the paper because something happened to your daughter. Stop lying. You were disrespectful before you got here, and now you're here, you know, looking nice and, and the comb is hair and you're pretty, but you have the audacity to walk into this chapel this morning and not speak to anybody. Mm -mm. There's a confrontation that takes place in places like this. Create in me, Lord. Mm. Create in me. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are so thankful and grateful that you are our God. 
Lord, we have worshiped this morning in song. We have prayed, Lord, and right now we're asking, God, in the name of Jesus, that you will remove all distractions, that you will literally quiet everything within us. We're asking, God, that you will speak deeply in these precious moments. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Dr. Williams, I'm told that every human being has three fundamental needs. We all have the need to believe. All humans need to have faith in something or someone. We all have a need to belong. All humans have a need to experience community and family. We all have a need to become. All human hearts need to grow and need to stretch and need to reach our human potential. And right now, again, there's a confrontation that you should experience while you are here as you are trying to understand, what do I believe? As it was mentioned, I'm the first Seventh-day Adventist female chaplain for the United States Navy. To God be the glory. And I found that when I graduated from the seminary and I went into the Navy, listen, there were very few questions that they asked me initially coming in contact with the chaplain. What they wanted to know is, what do you believe? Don't tell me what you do. What do you believe? There comes a time in all of our lives where God gives you the opportunity to speak. What do you believe? Ask yourself right now, what do I believe? Do I believe that Jesus lived and that he died and that he resurrected and that he's coming again? Do I believe? What do you believe? Because if you don't understand what you believe, let me tell you, life will bring you to your knees in such a way where you have no idea what's going on. And if you don't know what you believe, then every time somebody comes to you with a new theological doctrine, with a new principle, with some new virtue, with some new way of worshiping God, with some new way, with some, with some, every time somebody comes to you with something new, you will move all over the place because you don't know what you believe. We all, as was stated, have the desire to belong. God is allowing you while you are here in the seminary to belong to this community. Stop fighting it. I'm going to say that again. You are here. Whether you came kicking and screaming like me, <laughs> whether you're sponsored, whether this has always been your dream and by God's grace you are here now, you are here. Embrace it. Embrace the good. Embrace what you don't understand. Embrace what you can't stand. Embrace it. Because let me tell you, when you leave here, God will literally, if you allow him, take every single day, every single occurrence, whether you deemed it to be good or whether you deemed it to be uncomfortable, God will take it and he will mature you and grow you. As well as, right now, take a look around the room, whether you're in the balcony or here, just take a look. Don't look at me. Turn and look at somebody else. This is your community. Do you hear me? This is your community. 
There are pastors that I still engage with in a very deep way. We pray for each other and lift each other up. We formed friendships while we were here in the seminary 19 years ago. God is literally answering your prayers to give you a community to belong to while you are here. Stop fighting it. And to become, oh, mercy. Ah, God has given you the opportunity while you are here to become, not to become who you want to become, but to become who he desires for you to. I'm going to say that one more time. Hey, hey, hey. God is not calling you while you are here to set the stage, to be on the platform for the dreams that you want. You're here saying, Lord, who do you want me to be? How do you want me to be formed? How do you want to use me to spread the gospel? We have all been created to what? To believe. We have all been created to what? To belong. We have all been created to what? To become. Ah, hallelujah. And in the midst of believing, in the midst of belonging, in the midst of becoming, you and I will find that many of us are desperate to find a little bit of peace, huh? to find a little bit of quiet. We crave it so much we're seeing in society right now that people are willing to pay for it. Huh? In big cities, there are internet-free rooms which can be rented by the hour. The rules are very strict, no noise, no visitors. And people are willing to pay for a time to just sit quiet or take a nap. There are sleep pods in rented air that can be rented in airports. Noise-reducing earphones are popular items now. There are even canvas hoods or collapsible privacy shields that you can buy to pull over your head or torso if you're in the workplace just to get some quiet. We're in your life right now. Are you saying, Lord, I need quiet? I need rest, Lord. Are you even today praying and saying, Lord, I need rest emotionally. I'm tired of feeling low. I'm tired of feeling discouraged. I'm tired of being guarded all the time. Lord, I need rest physically. I just need a few days to be off and to be still and just do nothing. Lord, I need rest mentally. I'm tired of thinking all the time. My mind just won't shut off. Lord, I need rest spiritually. I feel so far from you. We are all in need of CPR for the soul. <laughs> and this morning, I want to speak to everyone, every pastor in this room, every seminary student, every professor, every administrative assistant, every spouse, every visitor who is here right now and you are experiencing adversity, you are experiencing fatigue, you are faint-hearted while in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, I want to talk to the people this morning who are being tested and tried while you are leaning and leading. Hallelujah. If that's not you this morning, then just listen and take notes for somebody else. But I want to talk to the people who are so fatigued where your heart falls down to your stomach, so fatigued where you're stressed out that your hair is beginning to fall out, so fatigued where you're thinking so hard and so much all day long that the headache just won't go away. Lord, I need your CPR in my soul. CPR 
confess, CPR, pray, CPR, hallelujah, rest, <laughs> CPR, confess, CPR, pray, CPR, rest in the name of Jesus. When, I, when the Lord gave me this title, I had no idea how real the application would be. I had no idea that there would literally on this morning be a real life scenario that I would have at the forefront of my mind. You see, CPR is like someone who's not breathing and their heart is giving out on them. You use CPR to try to resuscitate them. It's a 911 critical situation. Yesterday when I landed over in, in Indiana, I turned on my phone and my husband called immediately and I can hear the sadness in his voice. And I said, babe, what's wrong? And he told me that yesterday, our next door neighbor was out mowing his lawn and he died. Told me that as he walked outside, he saw the paramedics trying to perform CPR and it did not work. And it made me think this morning, right now our whole world is literally in cardiac arrest and in need of CPR. You can Google this online when you look at what the top 10 issues are in the world. It says that number 10, starting at number 10 and we'll go down to one. Number 10, they say, is a lack of economic opportunity and employment. Number nine, they say, is safety, security, and well-being. Number eight is lack of education. Number seven, food and water security. Number six, government accountability and transparency. Number five, religious conflicts. Number four, poverty. Number three, inequality. Number two, large-scale conflicts and wars. And number one, the destruction of nature, CPR for the soul. Listen to me this morning. You are here in the seminary at Andrews University at a time in which the heartbeat of this world is groaning and fainting and is in cardiac arrest under the weight of continuous traumas like COVID-19, like global warming, like earthquakes and floods, like political political uprisings and mass killings, like deportations and extreme border security concerns. You are here in the theological seminary at Andrews University at a time in which the heartbeat of the church, both corporate and specific, is moaning and groaning and is desperately trying to prevent cardiac arrest. Ah, you are here in the theological seminary at Andrews University at a time in which the church is trying to keep its head up above the waters of declining churches. In March 2021, News Gallup reported that the U.S. church membership was 73% in 1937. It remained near 70% for the next six decades before steadily declining around the turn of the 21st century. From 1998 to 2000, church membership was around 69%. From 2008 to 2010, church membership averaged around 62%. From 2018 to 2020, church membership averaged around 49%. Church membership, they say, really is correlated around age. 66% of traditionalists, AKA the silent generation, that's US adults born before 1946, that makes up 66%. 40, 58% of baby boomers make up the next percentage. 
Those in Generation X are 50% of the worshipers, and millennials are 36%. So why is this important, you say? <laughs> because while you are here studying, while you are here writing research papers, while you are here mastering Greek and Hebrew, while you are here and God is trying to reach you down in the core and the fiber of who you are, there are men and women who are waiting to hear the gospel from you. There are men and women who need you to be here in the seminary to get delivered. There are men and women who need you to deal with your baggage and your mess so that you can go back out to heal the nations. We are living and serving God in a time period where you cannot assume that everybody who professes Christianity knows the Bible. That's why so many of you are struggling in your classes. You cannot assume that everybody understands that Bible acronym stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. No, you can't. <laughs> you can't assume that everybody knows that the Bible has 66 books. How many in the Old Testament? I hear grumbling, I don't know, do you know? How many are in the Old Testament? How many are in the New Testament? You, you can't assume that everybody knows that the Bible was written over 1,500 years ago by men who lived in Asia and Africa and Europe. You can't assume that everybody understands that the Holy Bible is a collaborative book that is transformative. You can't. You can't assume that 90, everybody knows that 95% of the people on the earth can read the Bible in their own language. You can't assume that everybody understands that the Bible is special because it shows God's work in the past to save humans from sin, and it also shows God's future plan for humans and his everlasting kingdom. You can't assume that everybody knows that the Bible is filled with God's Spirit, and that the same Holy Spirit that helped men write the Bible is the same Holy Spirit that helps men understand the Bible. Ah! Because, you see, if you and I understood that, then we would go to class with a whole different focus. We would understand that the professors that are in our class have been placed there by the Holy Spirit. You would understand that if the professor is saying or sharing something that you don't agree with, that what God has called you to do is pray for that professor. Hey, what God has called you to do is study and show yourself approved. Hallelujah. God has not called you to be disagreeable and start arguments and be disrespectful and walk out and talk about them. No, God has called you to study. And when you graduate and return to the real world <laughs> next year or two years from now or four years from now, the church and the mission of evangelism will have stayed the same while the mode of evangelism remains fluid. Zoom, Facebook, StreamYard, in person, or what we're even doing today, hybrid. God will give you the skill set to relay the fact that he is coming back again, to relay the fact that he loves humans more than humans could ever love themselves. God will give you the skill sets. He will provide you with what you need. What he wants you to do is to say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. CPR, 
confess, pray, and rest. Let's look at Psalm 51. Psalm 51, here we find David. By the time we we reach Psalm 51, King David here, he has had the opportunity to believe, he has had the opportunity in his life to belong, and he has had the opportunity to become. Over the next three days, we'll look at Psalm 51. Today, we're just going to talk about it. Tomorrow, we're going to teach it, and Thursday, we'll preach it. Hallelujah. So let's just talk today. Because you see, Psalm 51 was was written from David's moral failure with Bathsheba. There's something automatically redemptive about failures, about falls. You know how they say we fall down and we do what? It, It really is true. Think about it. Whenever a mistake is made instantly right after that mistake, there is an opportunity for redemption. You choose what you're going to do with that next moment. You choose whether you're going to stay and be down and kick yourself in the butt and, and act like you don't serve a, a, a risen savior who, who is in, in, in the world t- today. You, you, you walk around like, like, like God has, has given you the spirit of fear. You, 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 you walk around as though you are condemned and in bondage. You, you walk around as though you fail to remember that Jesus loves you. This we know for the Bible tells us so. Little ones to him belong. <laughs> We're weak, but what? He is strong. And, 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 and David here in Psalm 51, he, he prays a prayer here that is appealing to God's love and compassion as a broken person petitions the Lord to forgive, to show grace, and to show mercy. Here is the scene from his roof. David sees a very beautiful woman taking a bath. His sinful impulses get the better of him. That evening, he sleeps with Bathsheba, the trusted wife of an officer. It is important to understand that like all ancient kings, David had absolute power. As the king, he didn't have to follow the rules and, and, and that governs everyone else. And yet, the painful story of David's family following this ever-changing, event reminds us of the fact that even as king, he was not above the law. Mm. Pastor, even as pastor, I know you like that title, pastor, (laughs) pastor, you are not above the law of God. The Ten Commandments applies to you. Thou shalt not have any other what? Thou shalt not make or worship any what? You will not take God's what? Remember to keep what? Honor who? What will you not do? Ah, you shall not murder, and you shall not what? You will not commit adultery, and you will not steal, and you will not bear false witness, and you will not covet. I know it sounds like God is telling me all of these things that I should not do, but pastor, how can you get up and tell people to keep the Ten Commandments, and you yourself right here in the seminary are violating the very code of your ethics? We are not above God's law, and if somehow, During your time here in the seminary, you are not confronted with that by God, get your money back. Because God will allow you while you are here to be confronted with you. And it's a good thing 
You want to be at the place where you have nobody but Jesus. You want to get to that place where no one can wipe your tears and no one can hold your hand and there's no prayer that any other human can give you. You want to be at that place where you go to your dorm room or you get on your living room and you just say, God, help me. God wants us to get at that place because when you are stripped of everything, that is when God can fill you up. I remember being here my first year in the seminary and I was went walking out of here into the commons area and sitting at one of the tables was a classmate and he was eating a Subway sandwich. <laughs> I was angry with God, angry! Why? Because before I came here, I was working. Before I came here, I had money, I had an apartment, I had a car. God sent me to the seminary and stripped me of everything. I didn't even sell. When God called me to come, I gave away my car. I gave away furniture. I literally left New York with $200 in my pocket. All I knew was that God wanted me here, but it was tough. I was depending on my, I came here, I was 33 years old and depending on my mother to give me money to do laundry. Hurt my heart. On Sabbath, I didn't know what I was going to eat. There was Dr. North and Dr. Nixon and Dr. Jones. There were people who would invite me to their homes on Sabbath. And I would say, thank you, Jesus, when they let me leave the house with some Tupperware. <laughs> Woo! What a mighty God we serve. God is taking us on an intentional journey because let me tell you, the faith that I had to develop and to mature into while I was here is the faith that laid the foundation for where God was taking me. I'm going to say that again. The faith that God developed in my life as he was growing me and maturing me on my faith walk in the seminary is the faith that set the foundation for where God was taking me next. I entered into the Navy as a chaplain. I was a chaplain for about three months when one morning I had just come from working out and I heard on my door. And I opened up a door and a Marine ran in, ma'am, we need you right now. I said, oh, okay, got my stuff. I said, what's going on? And he told me that a couple who I had just done some counseling with about two weeks ago, the wife was pregnant, she's about eight months pregnant. They were looking forward to bringing their, their baby girl into the world. Well, he told me very quickly that she had went to the doctor the day before, everything was good, but something happened during the middle of the night. Something just didn't feel right. And she got to the hospital and the baby had died. They said, ma'am, we need you right now. We, they, they are requesting you. And I'm like, what seminary class prepared me for this? And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? And I run and I get to the hospital and I get there and they're screaming, ah! And the father's saying, God, how could you? I hate you. He's screaming and she's wailing. That was not the time for a Bible study. That, that was not the time to sit and give them a whole full sermon about God's uncle. No, not God. I, it was ministry of presence. But what I had learned in the seminary was how to walk by faith and not by sight. 
What I had learned in the seminary was how to learn how to be calm in the midst of conflict, not calm on my own, but calm because of the peace of God. I learned while I was in the seminary to pray and ask God, Lord, I'm asking you to give me the peace that passes all understanding. Literally let it guard my heart and my spirit. Because I learned that here at that time, I was able to be in that room and just say, Lord, I'm going to be quiet. But I need you in my silence to speak volumes into this room. The parents were screaming. They prepared the mother to induce labor. They said, can you stay? I sure did. I stayed right there and held the hand and just kept praying. They induced labor, and then they brought the baby in, and they're screaming, and they're crying. How could you, God? How could you, God? And I just began to recite. You see, when we hide the word of God in our hearts, ah, if you are here in the seminary, mm, let me not say if, as you are here in the seminary, and you are matriculating, God is calling you during this time to not shun or stay away from him. God is saying, I've brought you to this place in the midst of your papers that are due, in the midst of you being married and having to still be husband and be father, in the midst of the internships and working with the other. It's a lot. I know it is. In the midst of all of that, God says, I'm giving you ample time and opportunity to figure out how to strategically place me in your life. For some of you, what you will end up doing as God leads you, when you get up first thing in the morning, you'll start your conversation with God, and you'll allow that to develop into your practice. For others of you, it may be the afternoon. For others of you, it'll be in the evening time. What am I saying? What I'm saying to you is that while you are here, this is where you allow the Lord to minister and work and bring restitution to your soul. We find here that David the murderer and David the violator and, and David the adulterer in verse 10 cries out to God, create in me a, woo, ah. Some versions say pure, some versions say clean. He says, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me, even right now, even right now, even right now, just say, God created me. Mm. God created me. God created me. You and God knows what you're talking about. Because when we don't give God the opportunity to create in us, let me tell you what happens. Salvation will save the sinner but salvation will not take away the ability to sin. Salvation will save you, but salvation will never take away your ability to still indulge. And when we don't pray, God create in me a clean heart, what we do is we leave the door of opportunity open to go back to our vomit. Sin soils. Some of you are wondering, why do I still feel so dirty? When we don't ask God to get down to the core and the fiber of who we are, we leave opportunity for residue. Sin stings the conscience. David hurt a lot of people in his fall, but ultimately his evil was against God. You're wondering, why do I feel no peace? 
I look good. I'm finally where I want to be. I have a good community. I'm moving forward, but I have no peace. I still can't sleep at night. If you find that your spirit is restless, God says, just turn to me, pastor. Turn to me and ask God to create in you a clean heart. Psalm 51 right here, that is a hymn of all hymns. And today you and I can say, create in me a clean heart. When we see that word create in the Hebrew, it's bara. Bara is, is used only for when God creates. You see, when you and I create, we, we take something and we take something else and we make something new, right? Like, I want to refurbish my furniture. I want a new couch, so I take my old couch and I either repaint it or I put some plastic on it or I find some new covering. But that is not how God creates. Every time he created in Genesis, it says what? It was, it was good, right? He created the light, it was. He created the atmosphere, it was. He created dry ground, it was. He created sun, moon, and stars, it was. He created birds and sea, it was. He created land, animals, and humans, it was. He created Sabbath rest, and it was. Baran means to create from brand new. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means to cause something to come into being that is unique. Lord, make me completely over. When God creates within you and me, he creates in a way that is pure. He creates in a way that is spotless. And what David says here is, Lord, I need a brand new heart. I'm asking you, God, to create in me a clean heart. I'm asking you, God, to create within me a willing spirit. I'm asking you, God, to create within me a right mind. I'm asking you, God, to create within me a will that only wants to serve you. And he now requests that the grace of the Spirit of God, which he had forfeited in his sin, ah, because that's what happened. When we don't lean on God and follow God, when we violate God, we forfeit the presence of the Holy Spirit. And David says, I no longer want to forfeit your peace. I no longer want to forfeit your presence. I want to be restored. 1 John 1.9 is a summary of Psalm 51. In short, it says, if we confess our sins, he is what? He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to do what? To cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so we learn from David. We learn from David that God uses our problems to save us. We learn from David that God uses our problems to use us. We learn from David that God uses our problems to convict us. God uses our problems in multiple ways. Number one, he uses our problems to direct us. Some of us are going in the wrong direction and God will allow you to come into a problem to say you're going to the left, I need you to go to the right. God uses our problems sometimes to inspect us. Sometimes we think we're so sold out for Jesus, but when do you hear a tea kettle sing? When it's hot. When you find yourself in a crisis, that's when you really understand 
where you and God are. That's where you really will see where your faith is. God uses our problems to correct us. He uses our problems to protect us. I don't know how many of you ever was in a relationship that you wanted so much. God allowed that thing to mess up. You were crying, heartbroken, and then later on you said, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Father, thank you. God uses our problems to protect us, and he uses our problems to perfect us. And so the good news today is that if we confess our sins and place our faith in God's steadfast and abundant love and mercy, that God will reveal his power and his presence in our lives. God will never leave you. And he's saying today, confess. And when you confess, you don't have to be afraid because I am the God that sees your tears. He says, I am the God that hears your cries. He says, I am the God that will pay your tuition bill. He says, I am the God that will heal your broken marriage. He says, I am the God who is your deliverer. And I am the God who is your strength. And I am the God who is your sanity. God this morning is saying, confess. He says, open up your mouth and confess unto the Lord. Open up your heart and yield it totally to him. He's saying, pray, 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 pray. You can never pray enough. And even right now, as you're hearing my voice, the Lord is saying, harden not your heart. If you have been sitting in here and your heart has been cold, if you have been sitting in here and you have shut your ears, the Holy Spirit is still talking to you. Because this morning is not about any of us. It's not about me. It's not about the person next to you. But this morning, God is saying, I want to create Barah. I want to create a brand new heart within you. Confess, pray. Will you come? That's, that's the question that Jesus says to you and to me this morning. Will you come? Will you allow me to create within you a clean heart? When you are weary, come. When you are heavy, come. When you are sad, come. When you are confused, come. When you feel rejected, come. When you have failed the test, come. When you spoke before you listened, come. When you mismanaged your money, come. When your heart is burdened because you're lonely, come. I teach my sailors and marines songs from the Bible because for us, there are so many times where we will never have an opportunity to walk around with a Bible in our hands. And so I teach them songs. One song that I'm going to share with you before we close comes from Psalm 61, verses 1 to 4. I invite you to, on your own time, read those four passages, those four verses, because in Psalm 61, David says something that I think we can all relate to. David says, I, I know you hear everybody else's prayer, but I'm asking you, God, today to listen to me. 
I'm calling to you, Lord, and I'm asking you, God, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I'm asking you, God, when I'm at my wit's end, when I'm overwhelmed, God, I'm asking you to lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And the song goes like this. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock, lead me to the rock. That's higher than I. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. Lead me to the rock. That's higher than I. That's higher than I. Sing it with me when my heart. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me. Lead me to the rock, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock, lead me to the rock that's higher than I, that's higher than I. Last time when my heart, here we go. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me, lead me to the rock. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I, that's higher than I. Let's pray. Father, this morning we want to say thank you. We're just so thankful and grateful, Lord, that you have given us this opportunity to pause. We ask even now that the Holy Spirit will overtake our heart and our minds. We're crying out to you, Lord, create, do something brand new. I'm praying, God, that for every man and woman that is watching online, every man and woman that is in this chapel right now, before they put their head on their pillow tonight, 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 God, that you will do something during this day that is a manifestation of your presence and a manifestation of the transformative work that you are doing in each of us. Lord, transform us. Create in us a clean heart so that we may go out and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.